This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Joy 94.9. This is Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Have your say. 1300 Joy 949. Gay, gay, gay News. News. Week. Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Joy. Joy 94.9. Good evening and welcome to Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Joined tonight with. Jeffrey Devine. Matt Thompson. And Katie Larson. Here at Gay News Week, we aim to cover topics that have been in the news over the past week and how they impact on you, us and our community. We certainly are and we're going to be talking about the Royal Commission which started today effectively with its first hearings. We're going to be talking about what the hell's going on inside the Australian Liberal Party. (laughs) We're going to be talking about a new event called Capril, so stay tuned for that. And we're going to do Around the World and Around Australia with news topics that we've uh, sought out for you. So if at any time you want to get in contact with us, this is how you would do so. You're listening to the Gay Newsweek podcast with Katie, Jeffrey, and Matt. Get in touch. Email gaynewsweek at joy.org.au or check out joy.org.au slash gaynewsweek for all of the links to our social media pages. The Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse and uh, how organisations in the country have managed that over the past and hidden it from people has opened with its first... uh, public session today and a piece that came out of that from the lead sorry just messing up my papers here (laughs) from the lead justice in that so the commissioner is peter mcclellan let's throw first of all before we have a chat to his comments the commissioners accept that part of the task given to us by the terms of reference is to bear witness on behalf of the nation to the abuse and consequential trauma inflicted upon many people who have suffered sexual abuse as children. The bearing of witness is the process of making known what has happened. It involves the telling of personal accounts by those who have experienced child sexual abuse as well as listening to the accounts of others who may have observed these crimes. There are many examples through history of the importance of this process, especially when an event has provoked great moral outrage. The bearing of witness informs the public consciousness and prepares the community to take steps to prevent abuses from being repeated in the future. Other outcomes may follow. The public record will be informed by the process. The memorialisation and archiving of documents for posterity is an important legacy of bearing witness. For the individuals who have been traumatised, giving an account of their experiences and telling their story can be an important part of their own recovery process. The bearing of witness by another can break the silence over the abuse that a person experienced in many cases, years ago. It allows the person to be heard, understood, and have his or her experiences recorded. The information gained can be used 
to develop better responses for the future. So the Royal Commission is off and running. So it's going to take uh, quite a few years to come up with all of the results and collect all of the evidence uh, that it's going out there to seek to do. It's mm. set up its website and it's committed quite a lot of money to it, Katie. Yeah, it has. At this stage, they've um, they've allocated more than $22 million uh, and they've wow. also, within that, expecting 5,000 submissions and unlikely to complete the task by 2015. But I have to say, my first take on that is do it properly. You know, yeah. if it's going to cost a bit more, we spend money on much more ridiculous. But $22 you know, million dollars is quite a lot. To have allocated at this point over the course of the next few years. So what they're looking at doing is going around the country and speaking to witnesses and survivors of mm-hmm. these events and speaking to as many, many of them as possible. Yeah. So there's all the costs associated with that, plus, of course, the administrative costs. And the costs mm. associated with that are going to include librarians, historians, mm. psychologists, and all of those sorts of things. It's going to be a very staff-heavy endeavour, yeah. I would suggest. And so that's going to take a lot of the money to do. But I'm agreeing with Katie in terms of the money. I think this is something worth doing right. It's important enough. And if we're going to spend the money in the first place, we might as well spend it on something that's going to achieve some results. This is been called for for such a long time yeah. and it's so important that we um, that we validate these stories and we look to make wrong uh, right sorry these wrongs and um, and I think the way to do that is to to do that with the best intentions and really hear all the stories that we can and see so this is going to have a lot of community benefit as well because it can bring closure to a lot of those survivors of of people who have been abused by different institutions look I don't know if it'll bring closure <laughs> I think it's an no I don't I think that that though personal Personal battles associated with this kind of um, this kind of situation will will take a lifetime to overcome. But within that, it's acknowledging it. Yeah. It's saying this happened, and we will make people accountable. I thought that's what I hope that we'll see from this. That we'll uh, we'll see accountability, and we'll start to put the pressure on the institutions to be responsible for what has occurred. Mm. And certainly, the institutions, at least at this stage, are giving their verbal support. It'll be interesting to see how that goes uh, when they're required to produce documents and find things in their archives and things that they've covered up and also to produce people and names of people yeah. before the commission. The commission's uh, actually set up and going and if this is any evidence of the speed at which they're going to go, they're going to get a lot done because there's a lot on their website already, I have to say. Absolutely. Mm. And one of the good things I was reading, uh, the Truth, Healing and Justice Council have been set up by the Catholic Church to liaise with the commission. Um, And they've actually said that after the hearing, the church has agreed to waive every confidentiality agreement to allow victims to tell their stories freely. That's pretty significant. Uh, Mm. It is significant. That said, you also have to look at the other side of that in that the Royal Commission were given the power to require these people to answer things, irrespective of whether the church gave them permission or not. So Mm. anyone who doesn't answer the Commission's questions uh, are going to be subject to the forces of the law. So the Catholic Church would have, in particular, and the other churches too, with... um, but they have different cultures around confessionals, would be in a difficult place mm. about uh, how to proceed. The um, interesting point to note is these uh, don't count as hearings and the information is given without oath. It's not evidence um, and the witnesses may can appear in a formal hearing. So what we'll get here is more outcomes, uh, not so much outcomes as recommendations. Which so I think what we're talking about here is the first stage where they're going mm. out and they're doing uh, these individual consultations. Mm. I suppose as a 
if you were in a different setting, you'd call it a scoping exercise. Yeah. You'd be going out to find out the width and breadth of this and mm. where it is you then need to apply resources and apply effort. And so uh, it's probably a good way to start. And certainly those people that are interviewed at this stage will be able to come back and give formal testimony later, which they will be able to do either on the public or off the public record. And at the same time, also giving people a voice who may not be willing or able to come forth in a more formal setting than this. So it's quite quite an informal setting. Yes, yeah, certainly. And we have had an email from James on onair at joy.org.au saying the Vatican spends hundreds of millions of dollars in hiding abuse. $22 million to undo that cover-up is a bargain. Something I'd actually agree with. Yeah. I, I think so. I think um, Justice McClellan making the comment about the bearing of witness being an important part of this. I mean, yeah. we have to remember, though, we're going to be covering this, I'm sure, as it goes along, is that it is about the telling of stories. And I actually looked at the Ryan Commission, which was the Irish example, mm-hmm. and that took um, seven years to come up with their uh, results, and theirs was a much smaller um, scope, if you like. And if you look at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in uh, South Africa after the fall of apartheid, yeah. they put a huge uh, amount of weight on the telling of stories and the getting the truth out there. So I think that is a really cathartic process. You're listening to Gay Newsweek on Joy 94.9. All right, and there, it's been a bit happening in, uh, of course there always is, in the gay marriage debate, but mm. an interesting take. A couple of weeks ago we spoke to Christine Forster, who of course is Tony Abbott's sister and also Liberal Party councillor for the City of Sydney. Now, just a few days ago, Tony Abbott's daughters, Bridget and Francis, his two youngest daughters, two of three, uh, came out to, well, support their dad, but also to support gay marriage, which was very interesting to see and not something we usually see, um, say, the children of a, a politician coming out against what they're... It's not- very brave, I, I would think, because I- this man wants to be the Prime Minister of this country and to, to step out of line in this kind of way, I think it's actually a very brave thing to do. I think it demonstrates uh, what with the equal marriage debate is the generational difference mm. that occurs on this issue um, in that Tony Abbott is of the age that he is and I'm not sure what that is. But um, <laughs> yeah. Oldish. Oldish and clearly his children have a different point of view. There's also something to be said in that, that they have... Um, progressive views, that they're young mm. and um, quite honestly they're quite photogenic so it makes a good story <laughs> so there's some really good picks. Good so Aussie girls. I'm sure that uh, Tony isn't unhappy with uh, the attention that his family's getting, particularly in the context of uh, Julia not having kids. Well, does it kind of just support him? Because I, even though he, it's sort of like he's surrounded by these people in his family who are progressive in their views on this issue, um, and yet he's still adamantly against it from a party policy perspective. I just kind of wonder if it's it's still kind of potentially clever politics here. We just put the family out going, he's a good guy and we believe this, but, you know. On this one thing we disagree. On this one little thing at the little... dinner table when we're bantering. It's just a <laughs> minor issue affecting human rights of people in this country. You know, like it's... I don't know. I don't know if I quite uh, quite buy it. Um, I think it's I think it's quite good politicking, but I don't think it's good policy. And no. I think it's a very different thing. Now, remembering that what he's doing is he's denying the members of his party a free vote on the issue of equal marriage. And 
in doing so, uh, essentially guarantees that if a bill were to come before the House again, that it would go down, that it would not pass. Mm-hmm. And there is some contention in my mind, at least, about whether even if there was a free vote, whether there would be enough people to get it across the line in the House of Reps. Well, maybe. And and in that perspective, I don't know, maybe I can't understand why if there weren't enough, why wouldn't perhaps just do it. His argument is that it's party policy and the policy needs to change. But I don't know, this is a unique issue and I think it's hiding behind policy. The what some of some the say Australian marriage equality supporters are saying it should be say a cross party vote. Mm, certainly, I think someone who would be uh, at very uh, great information to talk about this is the national director of Australian marriage equality, Rodney Crewman. He now joins us on Gay News Week. Good evening, Rodney. Hi guys, how's it going? Yeah, very good, thank you. Now, Ronnie, we've just been talking about, um, of course, Tony Abbott's daughters coming out in the last week and in support of gay marriage. Is this something you were surprised to see? Uh, well, not really, given their age group. I mean, mm-hmm. according to the opinion polls, Australians of their age support this to a level over 80%. Um, some polls show as high as 90% mm. of, of people their age. So they'd be way out of touch if they didn't support this. They certainly would. Whilst uh, obviously he, Tony's got a policy position on this, do you think it's good politics? No. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Do you think the uh, politics of having his daughters out there on this issue is good for his cause or his oh, sorry. perspective? Yes, no, that, that is good politics. Yeah. Mm. Um, he is obviously trying to soften his image mm. um, and to dispel uh, concerns about him being homophobic, misogynistic, um, uh, entrapped by his religious beliefs or whatever. Mm. Um, uh my emphatic response, no, then, was in response to, I thought you were asking, is it good politics for him to to uh, continue to oppose a conscience vote mm. on this issue? That, I think, is bad politics because it really cuts off at the knees those inner-city, uh, inner-urban uh, Liberal candidates in the next election who support marriage equality and for whom it's a plus to be, you know, to be supporting it, mm. uh, and yet they can't go to, to their electorate and say they can vote for it. They can't vote for it. Um, he is uh, limiting their appeal, again, particularly to young voters. Mm. I, Rodney, I was watching an interview with Mr Abbott on Sky News uh, today. I was watching it, actually. And, uh, and, and his excuse for not changing his mind, regard, he, he didn't really address his own personal views in it, but one of, the, one of his arguments was that he didn't want to change his mind because it, he didn't want to, um, to basically go back on his word on, on something that he's already said. He didn't want to change his mind. <laughs> um, like, for example, Julia Gillard's been accused of with the carbon tax. Do you think that's a valid excuse for Mr Abbott to be using? Is that really something that we can encourage and say, oh, yeah, that's a fair point? No. Um, <laughs> again, no, emphatically no, because there's two different issues here. One is whether he personally supports marriage equality. Yeah. Um, and he's saying, no, I don't, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But, but we shouldn't lose track of the fact that this conscience vote issue, him allowing the party a conscience vote, is crucial to this reform getting through and is more important, I think, than his own personal views. Um, and... Uh, the fact that he made a promise on that three years ago, um, uh, th- th- that really, in my mind, isn't relevant anymore, particularly as we're approaching the next election. He should be looking forward to what the policy is after the election mm. um, and making commitments on that now. So much has changed since 2010. So many more countries have this reform. There's so much more public support in Australia. Um, and there is very strong support in his own party and in the electorate for a conscience vote on this issue. We know that 
according to the Galaxy Research, 77% of coalition voters want a conscience vote on this issue. 90% of young Australians want a conscience vote. How can he ignore that? Mm. Um, to go back to a promise he made to Jim Wallace in 2010 is, I think, a real cop-out. Um, Rodney, but he is saying that he doesn't want a conscience vote and we're not going to see a conscience vote. What does that mean for Australian marriage equality supporters? Is it the end of the, the campaign for this election, for, realistically from a federal perspective? And probably a couple of terms yeah, afterwards if the polls come out the way that they're predicted. Mm. Well, um, there are different interpretations, as there often are of these things, of what Tony Abbott meant when he said uh, it's in the hands of the, of the party room. Um, some Liberal MPs I've spoken to, prominent ones, say that when this is raised at the party room, they can make whatever decision they like on a conscience vote. They don't have to change the party policy. They can just say, we're having a conscience vote on the existing policy. Um, that Abbott has essentially felt too much pressure on this issue <laughs> and he's abdicating his responsibility and saying, party room, you deal with it. And if that's the case, then this isn't a lost cause. We can still put pressure on... Um, candidates for the next election to make sure that they support a conscience vote when this comes to the party room, either before or after the election. As I understand from prominent Liberals, it will. Do so you no, reckon, we're, not, we're not giving up on the federal sphere. Do you reckon that if it, uh, they were given a conscience vote, do you reckon the numbers are there? Do you think there's enough people across the House of Representatives and across the Senate that would get this through? At the moment, I'd say it's pretty touch and go. There's more support in the coalition than we realise, but uh, it just depends, I think, on how many Labor people um, uh, vote yes. Uh, Two-thirds of the Labor caucus voted yes last time in August, um, and quite a few of the no votes have said to us subsequently, we said no because we knew it's going to lose. If it's got a chance of it getting up, we'd vote yes. So uh, it's really hard to judge the numbers at the moment. But the point, I guess, is... Well, it may or may not get up if there's a cross-party conscience vote. Without a cross-party conscience vote, it will never get up. Rodney, we've had a couple of messages coming through. The first one from James says, the simple reality is that gays have made marriage a lefty issue rather than trying to make it a bipartisan human rights issue. Gays will never vote Liberal, but changing policy will cost some votes. There is, there is nothing to gain by changing policy at the moment. That's real politics. Do you agree with that? Sorry, sorry, uh, I miss I misheard that. What was the what was the essence of the? Well, basically that um, the the gays have made the issue um, a lefty issue. Firstly, rather than making it a bipartisan human rights issues, ah, right. um, and also that because the gays the community will never vote liberal, which I think is true and not true. But um, but changing policy will then cost the coalition votes for this. So there's nothing for them to. There's no reason for them to do that. Three points there. Three points in response. Mm. Firstly, I think um, uh, the people who have been advocating for this issue at a grassroots level have made it clear that it's not about ideology or left-right. They've put forward really strong personal uh, and family reasons for this reform, that this re- reform is about their, you know, their family and about their lives, and, and that's not an issue for the left. It's not an issue for the right. It's an issue for everyone. Mm. It's about people, not politics. That case has been made really strongly. Mm-hmm. Secondly... Um, uh, this isn't just an issue about the gays, as, as, as you said. Um, the uh, young people under the age of 30 in Australia support this reform at, as strongly, if not more strongly, than people in the gay community. It has the support of millions of young people in Australia, and they're very passionate about this. Um, and that is why, when the Galaxy Research uh, did a national poll on this issue last year, it found that... Um, 
a net total of 1.3 million Australians were more likely to go to vote for the coalition if they allowed a conscience vote than than not. Wow. I'm surprised um, that it would be that big a game changer for people electorally. Well, if you look at the the, the polls on this issue, and it's not just Galaxy, but Morgan and all the rest, over the last few years, what you find is that, well, the level of support has stayed at around the same 60 65%. The passion with which people support it has gone through the roof. And that's mostly young people. Mm. They've gone from agree to strongly agree um, in very large numbers. And on the other side, you've seen people go from strongly opposed to opposed. Mm. So there's been a shift in passion on this issue from those against to those four. And that means that an increasing number of people are going into the ballot box or will go into the ballot box with this issue on their mind, ready to vote for it not against it. And we saw just this effect in last year's US presidential election, where this was a galvanising issue for young people when it come, came to voting for Barack Obama and turned young people off Mitt Romney. Ronnie, that leads me to my next question, which is very much, you mentioned in an interview on ABC News the other day that these two leaders need to, both Julie Gillard and Tony Abbott, need to think about their legacy. Um, it's an interesting point, but they don't seem to either see or want to seize the opportunity to be visionary on this. Why do you think there is that resistance when we're seeing the likes of what happened with Obama and also the Conservative leader David Cameron supporting marriage in the UK? Well, look, that's a question I really don't have the answer to. Um, I don't understand why Australian politicians uh, keep advocating responsibility on this issue. Mm. It's nothing to do with me. I can't deal with this. Tony Abbott says, it's not my decision, it's for, the, it's for the caucus. Julia Gillard says, we'll have a conscience vote. State MPs say it's a federal issue. Everyone wants it to be someone else's issue. Um, and uh, and I think in the end, it's a question of leadership. Where this reform has uh, got up, we've had a very strong uh, leader, um, someone charismatic enough to be able to carry the issue, whether it was Prime Minister Zapatero in Spain or uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York or Barack Obama or Christina Kirchner in Argentina. And I guess Australian marriage quality in Australia is still awaiting that leader. It certainly seems that uh, we are a fair way off. Thank you very much, Rodney Croom from Australian Marriage Equality, for joining us on Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Thank you. And we do have a couple of other messages just on that, which we'll take as comments. Uh, firstly, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Abbott not so long ago promoting no sex before marriage and stating his daughters were virgins? Seems strange he'd support same-sex marriage with the above belief. That's a reasonable point, I suspect. <laughs> and um, another one is, uh, again from James, the polls don't ask the critical question, will marriage equality change your vote? In Australia, it won't. Mm, thank you very much for your thoughts. More in a moment. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Gain his week with Jeffrey Katie and Matt this evening. And we have received a media release that we'd like to have a chat about. Um, and the event coming up is called Capril. Capril, I believe. Capril. Yes. I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. Yeah. See, this is something that I'm really actually excited about because it's basically, it's an, aware, it's an awareness month, basically. It's about getting a conversation going and really it involves capes. And I love capes. Mm. To tell us a little bit more about this whole campaign is um, we've got Megan on the line. Megan, welcome to Gay News Week. Thank you very much. Tell us the background. What's this all about? Well, Capel started off as a bit of a joke um, quite a number of years ago. It was just, you know, a bit of fun. Who doesn't like wearing a cape, right? Something yeah, like totally. Um, and one of the guys, Richard Marsland, who was part of the original idea, uh, he suffered from depression for many mm. years. And um, 
he ended up taking his own life as a result of suffering through his depression. Uh, so what we thought we'd do, a few of us sort of decided that, well, why don't we take this sort of silly idea and maybe turn it into something that would honour his memory and maybe do some good for some people. So it is now sort of a little like November is about growing moustaches and raising awareness for men's health. Uh, April is actually about, you know, wearing capes and, you know, I don't think it's going to go unnoticed if you're wearing a cape, so it's a good catalyst for conversation uh, for people who might be suffering from depression or other mental illness. Okay, so the idea is you just, like, put on a cape for the whole month. How does it work? <laughs> well, Which I'm open to, can I, can I add? Definitely, as much or as little as you'd like. Uh, I'm a school teacher and we have a cape day at school, mm-hmm. so we all turn up and, you know, the kids all come in capes and we talk to them about um, depression issues and all of that sort of stuff and other people hold little fundraising events or some people just, we got photos the other day sent into our website of people just doing the shopping in a cape. Uh, you know, whatever it is that you want and it certainly, I think, opens up uh, people to have a conversation about something that still has a stigma attached to it that might be hard to maybe open up about. And I'm assuming the capes are linking into, you know, a bit of a superhero concept as well. Well, that wasn't necessarily the idea, yeah. but certainly <laughs> a lot of people go for that angle. Yeah. Oh, cool. So uh, yeah. d- tell us about what, what sort of things do you expect to do? Are you fundraising? What, is, what are you expecting to get out of it other than the conversations at a one-to-one level, which are so important? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So one of them is definitely the, the uh, societal awareness of, of depression and this stigma attached with it. We're trying to get rid of that. And the other angle is fundraising as well. Uh, we are a complete volunteer organisation. We don't keep a cent of the money that comes in. Right. It all goes to Beyond Blue, who are already doing such valuable work in this area. Mm. We don't really want to reinvent the wheel. We want to support the work that's already happening. So we have, if you want to go to our website, which is capril.org, it's just April with a C in the front. So capril.org, there are ways to donate and all our money goes to Beyond Blue. Yeah, we'll certainly put that link on our Facebook and Twitter site as well. Um, have, this isn't the first time that Capril's been held, is it? Um, you've had some varying levels of, of success in the past. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so it started in 2009, uh, I got involved in 2010. Mm-hmm. So we've sort of been going for a few years in different, varying different levels. But a couple of years ago, we really sort of ramped it up and started trying to get media involvement instead of just word of mouth. Uh, yeah, we're really trying to spread the message far and wide as, as much as possible because, you know, the more people talking, the better it is. Exactly. What sort of capes are people wearing? <laughs> What's going on near you with the cape rule? How colourful and beautiful is it? Well, there's everything from people going and buying elaborate material and sewing their own capes, which is all very impressive. Wow. The people buying, uh, you know, like a $3 kid's Superman cape and wandering around in that, and, and people just tying bath towels around their necks. Everything you can imagine people are trying out. Now, I, look, I can't get away from the superhero um, side of this, and I guess that's <laughs> the angle I'd like to take with it. Do you get sort of extra exposure and recognition for underwear on the outside? <laughs> oh, look, I think that is a brilliant plan. Yeah, I think uh, so I, too. I'm definitely Definitely all for that. When we had our capable day at school last year, a couple of the kids did actually turn up with their underwear on the outside. Great. <laughs> oh, fabulous. And I'm hoping that the people using bath towels have actually managed to put a, some underwear on somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, thankfully, I haven't seen anyone who's forgotten that bit yet. Okay. All right, one more time. Where can we get more information about Capril? It's capril.org. It's April with a C at the start, capril.org. We're also on Twitter and on Facebook. 
Excellent. Thank you very much. Megan from Capril, thank you very much for joining us on Gay News Week. And, and see, I think it's one of those things, that it's, it's, it's a really important issue to, to, be, to, to be discussing yes. in like a quirky way because it can be a very serious issue. It can actually get people down really like heavily, um, but it's important to kind of keep it quirky, but also at the same time have a, have a conversation about something really, really serious. That conversation one-on-one with the people around you is just so, so important. Well, and I think reducing and removing stigma as well. And when we make it fun and we get people involved, and we make it inclusive rather than something that is, is kept in the dark or, or scary to talk about Or presented it. by experts or from the outside. Or presented by experts. Yeah, yeah, like have fun with it. We're seeing a lot more of these kinds of campaigns from a fundraising perspective and I think they're great. Yes, certainly. Now, of course, um, this is a very serious issue and some people may feel isolated or alone when it comes to talking about these issues and this can bring up a lot of feelings. So if you need someone to talk to, make sure you know that Lifeline is there for you. Give them a call, 13 11 14. Listen at work, on the treadmill or even on the toilet. The new Joy app on your iPhone. The new Joy app on your iPhone. Joy 94.9. This is Gay News Week on Joy 94.9 this evening with Jeffrey, Katie and Matt. And one of the news stories that uh, piqued our interest is that Qantas has uh, got a new arrangement going with Emirates Airlines, a partnership which flies in and out of uh, Saudi Arabia and out of Dubai. Yes. Now, what are the concerns with that? Well, this is a big story in the mainstream media that flooded. It was a great opportunity, basically. But there was one part of the story that I really did not see coming up at all. Well, that is that. Uh, <laughs> I've got the right bit here. That basically, that Dubai. So Dubai is going to be the new hub instead of Singapore. So that's the main point. But basically, um, the risk to gay travellers of exactly. going through Dubai. Mm-hmm. So this is something that potentially hasn't been considered, or has been considered and ignored. Well. Um, and it's interesting that Alan. Joyce, who is the CEO of Qantas and a member of um, the gay community, has chosen to do this. That said, they've moved their hub to Dubai from Singapore, and I don't uh, quite recall Singapore being a bastion of gay and lesbian rights, to be fair. I I, I have to say, look, I I think it's really a serious issue, and it needs to be looked at, um, and whether there needs to be warnings to gay travellers and things like that, but we are talking about an airport. So if you're transiting through an airport, the same I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that I'm right here which is always dangerous, um, the same laws wouldn't necessarily be enforced. I um, don't know. They if you probably go, would if you're be. entering into the country, you go through customs, sure, game on, but uh, yeah, I suppose the risks come in several forms. One of them for me is for the staff of the airline mm. who do layovers and that in the these cities. Oh, and yes. so there's a problem there. The second is if you have flight delays or whatever and you're flying as a couple, do they then put you up in separate rooms? Do you ask for a room together? What are the arrangements with those sorts of waits and delays and transiting problems? Mm. So there is an issue, but I do come back to the point that I don't think so. Singapore was going to necessarily be much more tolerant. Well, yeah, very good point. Um, and another story that's uh, bringing the GLBTI oh. National Affairs Roundup to the front page is the end of the rainbow. We love this story, but it's got sad it news. It just keeps giving this story. It does. Last week we spoke to uh, Independent MP for Sydney, Alex Greenwich, about the fact that the uh, the crossing at Oxford Street was at risk. Mm. And now it seems it's all it's game over. It's all over. It's they're they're going to paint over it. They're going to yeah, get rid of it. Getting rid of it. Yeah, the... Um, 
uh, roads department in New South Wales has decided that it has to go, that it's a safety concern or something. Oh. And so all of this very, very expensive paint that they put down mm. in the first place yep. has to be even more expensively painted over. $35,000 extra to remove it after 15,000 signatures were collected by Alex Greenwich, which is pretty impressive. It's very sad to see it go, really, because it was a big tourism thing as well. And finally, for the National Affairs Roundup, Good Ellen news. DeGeneres has announced that, yes, finding Dory is going to be a thing. We love this story. It's we're a not, wonderful one. We're not sure how it made it into the it Australian lineup, but oh. go, go Katie. She's been in Australia. I just That's wanted the point. to mention Ellen, and we hadn't mentioned she'd been here, and I'm excited about the movie. That's all for the National Affairs Roundup. You're on Gay News Week. Listen to Joy when you want, where you want, with the Joy app. Download it for free at joy.org.au. Joy.org.au. It's now time for the Gay News Week GLBTI International Affairs Roundup, and bringing it to us this evening is Andrew Potts from Gay Star News. Good evening, Andrew. G'day, Matt. All right, let's start off. And first up, we've got uh, something happening in the Uruguay Senate. Um, they've all basically overwhelmingly um, supported marriage equality. Is that right? That's that's correct. So Uruguay will be very soon will be the, the second South American country to allow same-sex couples to marry. Um, so the Senate voted 23-4 uh, and 8 against on the bill, hmm. uh, and it's already been approved by the Uruguayan uh, House of Representatives, so it's, a, it's just a formality for this to go in. Hmm. Um, now, uh, as, part, as part of uh, updating the marriage laws, they've also allowed men to divorce their wives for the first time. Um, previously, only women could d- divorce their husbands, so you'd imagine there might be some... You know, men trying to protect their wives. That might be ready to act. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, luckily, same-sex couples won't have to worry about that problem either. Wonderful. Um, and so, uh, basically, anyone who's over the age of 16 will be allowed to marry once the law goes into effect. Over 16? Yeah. Right, okay. Now, um, like in America, a lot of these things, like they go through and we go, oh, yeah, great, they're there, but then they get overturned. Is there any kind of possibility that this can be overturned in Uruguay? Uh, it would be highly unlikely, okay. um, just considering the, the amount of support there has been in the parliament for it and considering the majority the ruling party has there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it would be highly unlikely for it to, to, to be overturned. And considering that Argentina has already done this, uh, several jurisdictions in Brazil and Mexico are also so uh, allowing same-sex couples to, to marry, it seems to be that this is the, the direction for South America now. Great. Now, and, Andrew, the Catholic Church, somewhat un, unsurprisingly, has come out with all kinds of objections to this, but credit to them, they're not seeing that as a big deterrent and they don't see it as, as being any particular barrier. It's just the, the usual complaints, really. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, I think there's, there is actually a bit of hope under the new Pope. Um, pope Francis, he was opposed to same-sex marriage in Argentina, but he, mm. he was uh, more comfortable with the idea of civil union, so I, th- I think that we may see uh, a lessening of, of uh, the sort of rhetoric coming out of the churches under the new Pope. Okay. Be a, fresh, a breath of fresh air, considering the last two. And the first pick couples may be married in July, August, this story reports. So there's actually a, a time frame on it, which is something I like out of these stories, for the reasons Matt mentioned before, mm. that it just dies along the way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to put increased pressure on Australia, I think, when you have more of these countries that we used to look down as being in the third world moving ahead of us. Um, and, you know, eventually, hopefully something's just going to break the camel's back. Yeah. Mm. Now, good news out of Vietnam for the LGBT community there. They've received a $6,000 grant from a, Sweden, a Swedish human rights body, which is going to allow them to support LGBT people in employment and also a second Viet Pride bicycle rally. 
That's right. So uh, Vietnam plans to, to hold its, its second Pride Festival uh, and uh, Swedish uh, human rights group Civil Rights Defenders has given Viet Pride a, a grant of uh, $6,000. Um, so that's going to be spent on a campaign against discrimination and, and the second annual bicycle ride. Uh, ride, Obviously, bicycles very popular in Vietnam. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> and they're going to be... Uh, uh, they're going to be advocating for local and international corporations that do business in Vietnam to take action in raising awareness about the sexual orientation and discrimination. What is the situation in Vietnam in terms of LGBT um, rights and also acceptance in the wider community? Um, well, I believe there are, there are no discrimination protections, um, though homosexuality, homosexuality itself is not illegal um, and there'd be no formal recognition of relationships there. Okay. So there's a long way to go and hopefully this is a step in the right direction. Um, that, that is true. I mean, I think in, in general, um, Asian cu- cultures are more t- tolerant of other people's homosexuality, mm. as, as long as it's not within their own family, um, with family being such an important thing. Um, so, and, you know, before, you know, European colonisation, there were there was, you know, quite open gay communities in most of Southeast mm. Asia. Mm. Tell us about Mark Kirk of Illinois, who's the Republican US Senator, and what he's done with regards gay marriage. Okay, so he's become the second Republican US Senator to come out in favour of uh, same-sex marriage. Um, that's following on the heels of Senator Rob Portman, who came out and uh, after his son came out to him. Um, and there's actually a possible third one in the, the wings, because there's an Alaska Senator, Lisa Murkowski, who said her views are evolving on the issue, and we all know what that's a euphemism for. Um, it means you're already supporting it, but you don't know if it's politically safe enough to do it. And it is Alaska. That is Sarah Palin territory. I know. I I I was waiting to hear the name then. I was thinking, well, this could be big news, but But no. But Sarah was in favour. Yeah, maybe Sarah could could look at doing some evolving as well, I would think. It's good to hear there's a bit of a spine in uh, Alaska developing. Now, (laughs) now, uh, what's this? Now, North Korea has been a story in our headlines um, across the whole um, week. It's uh, been fairly interesting, but apparently we're responsible for everything happening over there. Yeah, that's right. So the the first uh, African-American leader of the Southern Baptist Convention Mm-hmm. His name is Fred Luder. He was on a, a Christian uh, news radio, radio network, and I use the word news in bracket. <laughs> uh, and uh, he was on one of the shows there, and he was asked whether he thought that uh, Kim Jong-un's uh, nuclear threats against uh, the US and, and South Korea might be, you know, divinely inspired. Uh, and mm. which he, ag- he agreed with that proposition. Um, he, thought, uh, he thought, you know, I'm not that stupid strong on prophecy, but when I, I would not be surprised if there's not a connection there, you know, and he's put the blame down to, to same-sex marriage and, and Boy Scouts, the Boy Scouts wanting to let the gays in or being um, pushed to do that, and he, he thinks it's it's not just a coincidence that we have a madman in Asia who's saying some of the things he's saying. I think it's a little bit special. One of his quotes is, I don't know if anybody is putting this together, I'm pretty sure he's the only one putting this together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not actually seeing the really clear linear connections between us and this whole issue. But, you know, as long as someone is. I like how powerful we are. I know. I like that too. I mean, I think there's, you know, they're they're saying that in the Bible sometimes God will create an enemy to destroy his chosen people to punish them if they're doing the wrong thing. So, you know, the Babylonians coming down and the Egyptians and things like that. So um, I don't know if they're expecting uh, US citizens to be taken to North Korea to build pyramids, but... (laughs) 
All right, and uh, a Baptist pastor says that his church's opposition... Uh, which it remains, shouldn't stop gay couples from marrying. That's right. So we were just talking about a Southern Baptist. This is a different kind of Baptist. Um, uh, so uh, this is more the, the sort of African-American uh, Baptist church. Okay. Um, so uh, Pastor Calvin Butt, he's the uh, head pastor at uh, the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem. And he was on ABC's, uh, obviously ABC in the US, um, it's This Week program, which is hosted by George Stephanopoulos. And he was talking about how he squared his his political support for for candidates who support same sex marriage when he is personally against it. Um, and he came out with a, 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 what I thought was a very good answer, which is he said that his church didn't believe in same sex marriage, but it believed in everyone having the same opportunities and the same rights. And so, even though he didn't agree with the concept of it, he had to fight for it anyway because everyone had. To, to, to be to get you know the, the same access to justice and the same choices that they'd be given by God. It's a very mature and sorted yeah. out mm. view in my mind uh, for someone from a religious background to say I can't agree with it for this reason, but I like everyone's to have the equal opportunity. It's yeah. Uh, maybe there's some... It's very intelligent, actually, because often we hear from the opposition to same-sex marriage it always being, and, and they should die or, or they shouldn't be well, on this earth. I think, I think, to be fair, I don't think it's necessarily about a religious background. I think it's pe- people in leadership within re- religious organisations. So yeah. I think I think that viewpoint probably exists at a more moderate level with a lot of people who are from a religious background, but I certainly think it's 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 refreshing to see it coming out of a, a position of leadership. Definitely. And, I mean, he's, he's, he's really, you know, going back to this idea idea that, you know, God could give us free will. And his his whole take is that if he takes your free will away from you, even if it's to prevent something he, he thinks is bad, he's, he's stepping over the line. Mm. So he actually has to help you do the things that he doesn't agree with because you have that choice. Mm. Mm, certainly. I reckon that's all we've got time for. Andrew Potts from Gay Star News, thank you very much for bringing us the Gay News Week GLBTI International Affairs Roundup. Anytime. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. So that's been it for Gay News Week for this week. We're all done. Well, we are, but I just want to give myself a bit of a shout. (laughs) You give yourself a shout out? I'm going to read a message. Oh, okay, we got a message. From our friend Betty, but I've really enjoyed this message. It says, Finding Dory, it's gay and great news of the week. Good on you, Katie. I'll take that. I'm still not as sure about the Australian context, given that it was in the Australian news bit. Well, because the Australians will go to see this movie, which, incidentally, (laughs) is very relevant because it will be out in November 2015. Oh, okay. Oh, it's ages away. Get your tickets. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was nice to have Ellen in the country. We liked that, didn't we? We did. We did. She danced. People cried. It was amazing, I'm and, sure. And were you one of those people that no, cried? No, I wasn't one of those people that cried. I'm not a groupie. Just quickly before, because I know we are running out of time. You know what I love about the coverage of whenever like a big superstar comes to town? They always have that, have that flamboyant fan that's crying and saying, it was amazing. It was the best experience of no, my life. There were seriously like a lot of them for Ellen. I did watch <laughs> a lot of the coverage and I was, well, it's quite amazing, really. All right, this has been Gay Newsweek, but unfortunately, that's all we've got time for tonight. It certainly is. So we've got to thank Rodney Croom from Australian Marriage mm-hmm. Equality, Megan from Capril, and Andrew Potts, as always, doing our international round the world everything roundup. Yes, exactly. Yes, indeed. I'll also give a bit of a shout out to our very own Matt this evening, who's oh, been you. doing the panelling in oh. the absence of our normal technical producer, Matt Knock, and it's all been going swimmingly. No, not oh, really. It's like a finding. 
Dory reference. Oh, just keep um, swimming, just keep swimming. <laughs> uh, if you do have topics during the week that you want us to look at, email us on gaynewsweek at joy.org.au or through social media, facebook.com forward slash gaynewsweek or Twitter at gaynewsweekjoy. No, it's facebook.com forward slash gaynewsweekjoy949. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> We're everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Just go looking for us. Exactly. You'll find us in the pond. And yes, of course, the podcast is at joy.org.au forward slash gaynewsweek. But until next week, this has been Gay News Week with Jeffrey Devine, Katie Larson, and myself, Matt Thompson. Bye for now. Cheers, news. They say no news is good news, right? But no news means no Gay News Week. And that would be bad news. Bad, bad news. So for news you can't refuse, choose Gay News on Joy 94.9. Now there's something for you to muse. That rhymes. You've been listening to Gay Newsweek. Check out joy.org.au slash gaynewsweek for all of the links on how you can keep up to date with the team on social media. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday from 7pm right here on Joy 94.9. Want to know what's going on in our diverse community? Tune in to Joy's range of current affairs programs. 7pm Mondays, Generation Next. Tuesdays at 7, Salt and Pepper. 7pm Wednesdays, Gay Newsweek. And Thursdays from midday... On the line. Thursdays at 7pm, Rainbow Report. Then again on Saturdays from 10 to midday, Saturday Magazine. And across the week, the Community Network News Team bring you the Joy 94.9 GLBTIQ News Wrap. A look back at the news of the week in our community. Yes, we have one of the longest running in-house news services on community radio, bringing you the latest every morning, midday and evening. Be informed and empowered through your news and current affairs lineup on the gayest station in the nation, Joy. Joy 94.9. To find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.